0: Good morning! Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We are reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are today in Joshua chapter 8. We are finishing off this story, um, this section here in the book of Joshua that's really spanned several chapters, all the stuff that's been going on ever since they crossed over the Jordan River Last time in chapter seven, disaster. They they should have been able to take the city of Ai with just two or three thousand men. Instead, they were embarrassed, and it was because of their sin. Joshua in faith knows that the problem ultimately is not between them and the people of Ai, but between them and God, and um, they have to deal with that. With Achan, as we saw last time, today in repentance. They seek to faithfully carry out God's commands, um, and they try to actually take the city that they were unable to take last time. So what's the difference? What do they do differently? They do a few things differently. Um, it's it's just an interesting story in terms of how they do the battle. They employ a different strategy, right? But it's not really about the strategy. It's about what's going on between them and God. And in the end, there is this very interesting ceremony What's the significance of the ceremony here in Chapter 8? So lots of things going on today. And joining us today, we have, I believe, this is a pastor making his Thy Strong Word debut. We've got Pastor Chris Mathis, pastor of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. A good friend and a beautiful place to visit. Good morning, brother. How are you doing?
1: Good morning. I'm well. How are you?
0: doing good over here in south orange county. Uh how is it looking up there in castle rock right now?
1: It is it is it's beautiful. It's uh in the 30s. We're going to get some highs uh closer uh, to the upper 40s today. And uh it's sunny as it usually is. We are the Denver area is uh actually gets more sun, more sunny days than Miami and Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, I would believe it. And, uh, and of course you guys are just all the closer to the sun. So it's a little bit more intense up there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, so up to the thirties and forties, uh, you guys are probably planning on like putting on your shorts and getting out the Frisbees or something. My goodness. <laughs>
1: Not quite, but almost. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. These things are all relative, but uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. So good to have you on. Finally, I know I've been wanting to to have you on for some time now, and yeah, Joshua chapter eight. These are these are just well, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, I'm like. Well, these are these are really cool uh, stories, right? I mean, like they'd make great action movies, right? And you know, like mm-hmm. I, I like some of those like movies, like you know, uh, like the Marvel stuff, right? You know, with the with the heroes fighting the bad guys, yep. right? But on the other hand, it's like it's a pretty grisly chapter when you consider that this really happened. I mean, you're, you're kind of taken aback.
1: It can be a little off putting to uh, to Christians who are concerned about mostly being nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it certainly uh Joshua gives a lot of pause for people and uh sometimes in, in when I have conversations with unbelievers, they'll actually point to the conquest of Canaan as one of their objections right. to uh right. yeah.
0: Yeah, indeed. And of course, you know, we should take the chapter on. It is as cool of a story as it might be. Uh, there should be some sobriety that we view this with because, I mean, it really is not something that we ought to be eager uh, to put ourselves into a situation like this. Uh, we see that really, really. And my take on it is this. The, the reason why it has to be so grisly in the end is because of the sin of the people in Canaan and because of the sin of Israel, um, had there not been such, such sin, you know, like it wouldn't have needed to be so severe, the destruction and the scope of the destruction. Right. So, I mean, I think there is a, an element of it that should be seen as tragic, but, but as you were saying, uh, tragic, yes, you know, tragic in the same way that, in, in a way of speaking, that that the cross is tragic, right? But not ultimately something that we reject um, with, with human hubris uh, telling God, like, oh no, God, you shouldn't have done it like that. So there's a balance, right?
1: And particularly when we look at um, the motivation and the timing of the conquest was um, the Lord had told Abraham way back in Genesis that um, after the... Um, the the sinfulness of the peoples of Canaan was complete, um, and had really reached a breaking point uh, for what God could allow. That's when Israel would come out of slavery and they would take the land. And, and and in a sense, it's it's almost a smaller temporal picture of like what the final judgment looks like in in First King. Uh, sorry, not First Kings. In Revelation nineteen. Well, Jesus comes riding on the white horse and the the sword of the word that comes out and destroys the nations that have arrayed themselves against uh, Christ and the church. And so um, as Christians, we don't like violence, but mm-hmm. we recognize that judgment is, you know, it's God's alien work. He doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it in order to uh, to remain a just God.
0: Indeed. So, yeah, and that's well put that Joshua does in this chapter prefigure our Lord Jesus Christ. um, You could say perhaps even um, in a a perhaps less visible way uh, in in the Lord's judgment that was rendered upon the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. But then, as you said, of course, ultimately in the final judgment, right? it, it, It is something that is, even though it is the alien work, right, it is still part of God's work indeed. So let's go ahead and start reading and get into this and and try to understand this a little bit, right? Of course, there there is no uh, true definitive answer to the problem of evil that just solves all of these, um, you know, negative emotions that we on a certain level, rightly feel. But there is some level to which we can understand these things. So let's go ahead and start reading. And um, as we do, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening today with us, reading along with us today? And also, I just got word that one of the the people who helps make the broadcast happen, uh, Stephanie Lidlaker, Sorry, I said her name wrong. Again. Stephanie Licklider, uh, she heard her back and so wasn't able to, to be on the broadcast today like she normally is on Friday. So if we could say a prayer for her that she would have her uh, pain assuaged and get back to work real soon.
1: Absolutely. I'll gladly do that. Thank you. Gracious and most merciful God, we love you and we praise you. We give thanks for this day because your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, if it were not for your grace, none of us could stand before you. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would give us an extra outpouring of your spirit today as we hear and study and discuss your word, that you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things that are in your word. And I pray, oh God, that you would also look with favor on your servant Stephanie, that your hand of healing would be upon her to heal her back to help her to recover quickly, and most difficult of all for many of us, to be a patient patient. We pray all these things, O God, in the holy, precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. Let's go ahead and read just the first two verses, and that'll introduce the story, and we can kind of discuss then, okay, what's the situation now, how does this logically follow from what we read in chapter 7 and set us up for the rest of the chapter? These transitions so important to understanding how these aren't just a bunch of stories that were kind of randomly collected and put down, but there, there is actually a real progression that makes sense. So uh, first two verses here, reading, as always, out of the English Standard Version, chapter 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Okay, so after everything that happened in chapter 7, it's just... Yahweh giving further instruction to Joshua and the instruction is a little bit different. So, uh, what's going on here? Uh, how does this instruction follow everything that happened in the previous chapter and and what do we make of this instruction being a little a little bit different, uh, not exactly the same as the situation in Jericho?
1: Yeah, so so of course the uh this is almost like hitting the reset button. <laughs> Right on uh, chapter seven with uh, the failed um, attempt on I because of uh, the sin of Achan, and um, the Lord now is is telling Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be worried. There's almost a repeat in uh, not exact words, but at least in theme of uh, the first chapter of Joshua, where he repeatedly told Joshua not to be afraid. Um, And whereas previously, in chapter 7, Joshua had determined the strategy uh, himself about how to attack the city of Ai, um, having the spies go check out the situation and then sending uh, 3,000 men up there. This time, uh, the Lord instructs him to bring the entire fighting force and assures him that uh the king of ai and all of the uh, people there are uh going to be defeated which is certainly reassuring and comforting after uh the the loss in battle previously it's also interesting that the lord this time lessens uh the ban or uh the specif- specification of which things which booty and plunder are under the are are the devoted things right um right. this time he does allow them to keep the booty and the animals but uh they can but they still have to uh kill all the people in the city because of their sin and their idolatry
0: right yeah I know things that's it's helpful and we are going to see that that the 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 force that they go in with is like 10 to 15 times greater this time it is it is interesting as you mentioned that you know here we have the strategy, the different strategy, on the lips of the Lord Himself, so to speak, uh, and we didn't see that in chapter seven. And then of course, it would only be a little speculative um, to wonder to what extent Joshua might have been getting a big head, getting ahead of himself, um, going in without consulting the Lord. I mean, the text doesn't say that, um, so we, we're not positive. But it is it is noteworthy that we do have at the beginning of chapter seven, and this was something that we had to kind of emphasize last time. It does say that the people of Israel broke faith. So, I mean, in chapter seven, the picture is not like, well, Achan messed up, right? This one guy messed up. Everyone else was fine. Um, mm-hmm. But then, yeah. but then God was mean and like punished additional people. No, uh, rather the entire people broke faith with God and God mercifully didn't destroy the whole people, but only a part. So, uh, I I do wonder if there is a connection there um with the change of strategy even even as you said even with the with the concession almost that God seems to be giving them that to allow them to take more of the spoil um in in response to the sin of the people um it does it does seem like this the the difference is basically because of Israel's sin.
1: Yes. And and they uh and they have uh, they have carried out God's instructions for how to deal with that sin now, and uh, and of course Joshua got down on his hands and knees and on his face, you know, praying for God's mercy and and, and appealing for that uh, in chapter seven, and so um, you know the Lord knows that um, as sinners we will we we struggle with our sinful nature all the time, even when we're trying to do what God wants we. Uh, we get our we get our foot in it. <laughs> right. And right. and so in in this particular case though, um, you know, the Lord is is being gracious and giving them this second chance and giving them uh, the strategy and the method as well. It's uh Right. It reminds us of how the Lord gives us uh gives the church militant our our marching orders and our strategy even in this time with uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 go therefore and make disciples uh, by baptizing and by teaching and and so um, even today the the church operates and moves and goes on the word of the Lord
0: yes yeah certainly and certainly we see that 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 ultimately there are yeah, intermediaries. Right. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, the church is not a democracy. It's not like we all get together and we decide like, Hey, well, what do we want the teaching to be of our church? Right. And uh, <laughs> I feel, I feel like so often, like when I, when I'm like hearing things from like fellow millennials or, or, uh, just things that are posted online, it, it sounds like it's like, Oh, well that's, that's kind of your opinion. This is kind of like what you guys decided to do. Right. And it's like, well, no, hang on a second. Like, no um this is this is not at all like this was our idea right this is like this is from god and then so we're we're just the the conduits the messengers certainly um well let, let's go ahead and i mean on on that note right just how this is this is god's idea god's plan god's plan is a little bit different right it, it is interesting that when you go ahead and you read how this all unfolds here um uh, there's there, there's some interesting features here. It's not just a different military strategy. There's more going on. Um, there mm-hmm. is a difference because of the sin going on. So let's pick it up, verse 3. I just want to read the next paragraph going through verse 9. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but... All of you remain ready, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they're fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you've taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went into the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. So pausing right there, and, and maybe only briefly, because it, it, you kind of just have to keep keep reading how this all unfolds. But yeah, we see it's thirty thousand, right? So much larger than the two to three thousand, right? But. The, the the point isn't like oh well we didn't send enough troops last time we just need to mm-hmm. if we just go out with more people then we'll get them right like that's not the point um in fact the bulk of these people it's just it's a diversion so i mean there's a lot of uh i mean this this is a this is a this is a sneaky strategy compared to last time um but it is one that's going to result i mean in jericho-like destruction they're not they're not trying to capture the city for themselves they're trying to wipe the thing out
1: mm-hmm and, and it, I think it's interesting, too, that you, you make the point that it's not just about the numbers thing, there, but there is something symbolic about the numbers in that while when, when Yahweh tells Joshua to bring uh, the entire force of fighting men, just as the entire nation came under judgment because of Achan's sin, so now also this uh, representative group of the, the entire army stands for God's people carrying out his command. So it's kind of like a symbolic reversal of what happened with Aiken keeping uh, the devoted things for himself. Yes,
0: I I totally agree. The same thing, right? I totally agree. The same thing occurred to me that this is, in some ways, less about let's just get lots of people right. Though I mean, there is a strategy in having such a large number of people, as we're going to see. But I think you're right that, theologically speaking, the whole people needs to participate in repentance, right? And 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 that's what I think we saw at the end of chapter 7, right? Uh, that when they when they went and they stoned Achan and they burned his possessions and then they stoned even his family, that I mean it says there, right? Joshua and all the people of Israel with him took Achan mm-hmm. and all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? So even as they're punishing him, I mean it's it's repentance. The whole people needs to be involved because the sin was on the whole people of God. Um, and isn't that just I don't know, that's just such a different perspective, right? Cause so often we're like, oh no, hang on, I'm fine, right? It's just that guy, man, that guy, I can't believe what he did, right? And this is the way that we do it on social media. Like, we're like unthinkable, this monster. How could he don't how could he done that? I just don't understand, right? And we all act like aghast, like we could never do such a thing. But I mean, the reality is like when someone does something terrible, right? like someone a member of our society does something terrible it's a reflection on the sin that we all have and all and we're all a part of and when someone does something terrible like this our response ought to be to, to collectively all together be working in repentance i mean it should be a moment of repentance and that's uh, that's how our lord teaches it in the new testament too that when something terrible happens with a few the, the whole ought to be repenting together
1: yeah, and you see this idea of community or communal uh congregational repentance at work like in the prayer of Daniel um yeah. in Daniel chapter 9 when he confesses yep. the sins of the fathers and the generations before them and and how um the new generation is is repentant for those sins that brought about the exile. I think that um Something that perhaps is uh, very timely with the anniversary of, of Roe this week and the declaration mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the national day of the sanctity of life by our president is, is the fact that uh, in our country we are killing our children through the sin of abortion, and even though you know in your family or my family we may not personally be involved in uh, in in that. In, in that act, in that act of, of, of violence, the reality is that it still brings um, condemnation and, and sin upon the entire country. And um, there's a sense, I think, in which um, probably we as a nation <laughs> need to repent uh, and where God's people need to uh, pray for repentance on behalf of the nation. Uh, I would,
0: I would agree and say not just probably, but most certainly brother, it's, you know, and it's something, it is so, it is so terrible when you think about it, like what it, what it really is, like the the killing of a child, an innocent child. Um, It's painful to even think about it. And because of that, it, it's almost like just an emotional defense mechanism, right? We're like, oh, well, I mean, I didn't do that. I would never right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, just so we can separate ourselves from it emotionally. And, and we point the finger and say, well, they did it. Right. But I, I mean, let's, let's get a little bit deeper here. Right. So why did they do it? Right. I mean, d- did they not do it? Were they not driven to it by the sin of our whole nation together? I mean, wasn't it because of things like the the greed or like the social injustice, or the desperation, mm-hmm. or the mental illness, or the isolation, or any of the many many things that are going on, right? That we daily participate in. That our sin um, led um, a, a woman to make that decision. That 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 we really um, aided and abetted them, um, and and drove them even to do such a thing. In so, in in so many ways that were uncomfortable even reflecting upon, but as you said, there there is there is a tremendous um, need for collective repentance as a nation, not just saying, "Well, I, I'm saying I'm sorry because because uh, they're not saying sorry." So I'm just kind of saying sorry for them, passing the message. No, not like that, but genuinely repenting as a nation, saying, "Like I understand that my own sin." um, is part of this mess and is part of why this tragedy has, has happened and continues to go on.
1: Because we breathe the same air and we're all in it together.
0: <laughs> we are, we are. Just um, like Israel. Yeah. Just, just like Israel. Indeed. Indeed. Um, th- thank you so much. That is a very timely connection as difficult, uh, one as it is to consider. Uh, but, but yes, very, very timely. Um, We are actually just at about the time we need to take for our break. So let's go ahead and take that break now. Everybody, we're looking at Joshua chapter eight here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back after this break. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious Word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it.
1: So tune in. You'll be richer for it. Over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches the Alps in the Jura Mountains, a boy and his grandfather are trapped in their chalet. A fierce snowstorm has cut off all paths of rescue, and that's just the beginning. Grandfather! Ooh. <laughs> Get behind me! When doubt, danger, and death surround you, will your faith
0: survive, or will it be buried in the snow, based on a true story, on the next My
1: Biter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter eight here. We've read about half the chapter. I think we got through verse nine here. There's a different tactic, and it's coming straight from God. And, and the tactic is different because of human sin. There's there's something going on here. Uh, it's it's not just uh, an act of barbarism. I mean, it certainly is. Uh, going to be very grisly, as a, it's a good good word for it, really. Um, but it, it's repentance; the whole people is involved because really it was their whole collective sin that was on display when Aiken as an individual, took that thing. It wasn't just him in the previous chapter. So this is repentance for the whole people. Uh, we're we're about halfway through the chapter, and uh, we were just making some very timely connections here with our guest pastor Chris Mathis, pastor of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Yeah, thank you for making that connection. I want to make sure that I invite all of our listeners who are listening live. If you have a question for me or Pastor Mathis, you can give us a call. Um, Even if you're in Castle Rock, Colorado on this chilly but sunny day, you can call 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. Or as always, anyone can send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. And as always, a shout out to our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out and the awesome work that they do at LHFmissions.org. That's uh, Lima Hotel Foxtrot Missions.org. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the, the NATO alphabet. Um very good for, for that and for like reading off like confirmation numbers on the phone. Oh, my gosh. Uh, right. So here we are in Joshua chapter eight. And yeah, we just kind of read the, the kind of the first half of the of the plan. Right. They're going to they're going to feign um, fleeing again, that they're going to go out with bigger people and they're going to run away and they're going to be like, oh, hey, look, we're going to you know send them on the run again. Right. So we've kind of laid out the plan here. Um, and everyone's kind of lying in wait. They, they've kind of taken their positions here. Uh, let, let's go ahead and read the next chunk here and see how this how this actually unfolds. Um, and and then uh, we, we want to make sure that we. We kind of go at a decent pace because at the end, then there there is actually what what might seem to us like it's just kind of like, oh, then there's this kind of it's a totally different thing going on. There's some kind of ceremony, but it's really part of the same story here. And it's important that we we connect the dots. So um kind of picking up the pace here. Let's read how this battle unfolds, starting at verse 10, picking it up where we left off. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all the... And all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, "'Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand.'" And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, and the men in the ambush rose quickly out of, their, out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was left none that has survived or escaped but mm-hmm. the king of ai they took alive and brought him near to joshua so a, a lot of action right there um and and we'll, we'll we'll kind of pick this up uh quickly soon but there's a, a lot of things going on i mean you can just kind of see it's just kind of the blow by by blow of of this of this battle plan there there's the the Vast number of them to the north by this ravine in this valley um, facing the wilderness, right? And then there's the camp that's off to the, the to the west that's going to do this ambush, right? And so, I mean, there there's the plan um, unfolding. It's a uh, it's, it's interesting note that so there's five thousand men who are doing the ambush again. not It's a different number, but um, than than in chapter seven. But their job is not to like try to beat the people of I, but their job is to well, set the city on fire, and um, as was mentioned in verse one, to loot it. Um, so yep. they're 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 going in and just running in and just like grabbing all the stuff and setting it on fire, which is quite a task to, to do that quickly, um, because everything is about the timing here. And speaking of timing, um, a very crucial moment happens when God, and, and God's actually the one who instructs them at this crucial, crucial moment, timing is everything, right, to stretch out to lift up his javelin is the signal. Um, much A much more militant signal than uh, Moses lifting up his staff, I might say. But yeah, a lot of things going on here um, in, in this section, right?
1: Yes, and I think it's also important to note that um, just sort of woven into the sentences here very matter-of-factly is the fact that, um, that Bethel also becomes involved in the battle, and so the city of Bethel was probably either allied with Ai or um, maybe a vassal to the king of Ai, Um, but they're involved in in the battle also, and the mention of these two cities together is significant um, because of the promises made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, because after uh, Abram, later Abraham, um, receives that, that call to you know, go, leave your family, leave your country, go to the land that I will show you, he ventures into Canaan. He goes as far south as, uh, as, as I and Bethel, and we're told actually that he camps there and builds an altar to the Lord, to Yahweh, there between those two cities. And so right after the Lord says, you know, this is all the land I'm going to give you, now we see the people of Israel um, fighting for their inheritance um, to the very in the very place where uh, the land was promised to their forefather to the patriarch Abraham. So the fulfillment of the pro- of the promise is coming into uh, fruition right before their eyes.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Thank you for making that connection. There are just so many connections to. To the books of Moses, right? Um, just to, to everything that happened in Genesis, Exodus, and the rest, um, you know. So, so, so here it is, right? As you were saying, you know, I and Bethel are, are kind of treated together here, you know, probably in some kind of an alliance of some kind, right? Um, and so they're they're drawing the people out. They're drawing the people out. It Says there in verse sixteen, right? That they see this this big number, and mm-hmm. and I think this is actually where you see the strategy. In what God has laid out, as we said, I think the big number is primarily in a theological level so that all Israel can participate in the repentance going on here. But when, the, when I and Bethel see, right, like this big force, which is, I mean, like, so if I'm doing math, right, like if they took 30,000, they took. 5,000 to the west would that leave 25,000 to the north i mean maybe i might not be figuring that right but when they see this force that's like i mean still like eight times larger than what they had seen before they're like whoa okay hang on we're gonna get them right and so they they pull everybody out right and you get this comment that not a man was left in i or bethel that did not go out after israel in in verse 17 there but Here's a, here's a question for you, and this isn't actually a rhetorical question. Um, so everyone, like, just empties the city, right? And that's when they just are able to go in and loot the place. Um, but so th- this, this, is, this is kind of the weird thing for me anyway. In verse 21, when oh. Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, and they turned back and struck down the men of Ai, um, and it says in verse 22, and then the others— came out from the city against them. So I was sort of like, hang on a second. I thought in verse 17 it said that no one, not a man was left in I or Bethel. Everyone had left. But in verse 22 it says others came out from the city. So am I just confused about nothing? I mean, what would you make of that?
1: Well, when I <laughs> when I was reading this chapter and um admittedly cons- consulted some commentaries to help make sense of the the numbers because there's Yeah. You know, is it three thousand minus five thousand, or three thousand plus an additional five thousand? Right. Um, it's 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 difficult to reconstruct the battlefield. You, you can't do it in the same detail as like if you go to, you know, Gettysburg National Battlefield and you listen to the audio tour, and it tells you exactly where these guys were at this moment on this point of time in the battle. Um, and certainly there there's movement, and even if people everybody left the city. Um, when they saw that they were ambushed some may have returned to try to defend it but it's difficult to get an absolute reconstruction of what happened i think the key point is that god's strategy god's command was carried out and it worked and um and in fact even the name of the place i in hebrew it's high hot like mm-hmm. high but uh it means the ruin <laughs> and uh, right it uh i don't know if that was an anachronistic name that was applied you know i can't imagine somebody naming their town uh <laughs> right. the ruin when they settle yeah. it but um but certainly it lives up to its name at this point
0: Right. Yeah. No. It's uh <laughs> right. You, you, that, is, that is a good point. That perhaps. Uh, I mean, m- maybe it's like almost like a Hebrew play on some other word that didn't mean quite the same thing in the native uh, language, or or mm-hmm. right. If that's just you know, like it says there, um, that the, that there basically is like a memorial of just this. A heap of ruins so maybe they called it that later and it's just being called that as you said anachronistically in storytelling that's okay um you know anachronism is actually a narrative device so it's like not mm-hmm. like wrong or something if it is used um so that's, that's that's fair also um yeah yeah no it is it is uh difficult to like have 100 percent certainty on exactly how to sketch out something which must have been very chaotic certainly um the uh, the one thing that, you know, um, I actually, I, as I look at the Hebrew, and I, I should, I basically, whenever I have these questions, I don't understand. The Hebrew usually makes good sense of it. Um, <laughs> in verse 22, actually, when it says, and the others came out from the city against them, and you're like, hang on, what? Um, it actually doesn't say that in Hebrew. It, it says... Um, and these had come out from the city to meet them. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at that, and it's actually like a pluperfect, it's just kind of um, reminding us that there's no one in the city. They're all out of the city. They had all gone out. Um, and I don't. And I think that actually just makes much more sense. It answers my question, and I don't know why the ESV translates it that way. Um, but this isn't the first time that I've asked that question, but, <laughs> but, but not, not to disparage the ESV as, uh, as my dissertation advisor, um, the, the honorable, uh, Reverend Dr. James Veltz said just this past weekend, the ESV is in many ways, um, the, the best translation available in the King James tradition, hitting that sweet spot yeah. between, um, I mean just uh, kind of continuity with prior English translations but uh, still un- much 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 more understandable than the KJV itself yeah. um, so so yeah so th- don't don't ever take anything I say to be like oh the ESV is bad but I will say verse 22 um I think the Hebrew means something else um but let's go ahead and keep pressing on here the the action does not actually conclude uh, in terms of battle Um, until verse 29, because we just heard that the the king of Isis has been captured. He's been took alive, right? been taken alive. That's right. And and he's been brought to Joshua here. So what's going to happen to the king? All right, so verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword, and all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Okay, so I mean, there, there it is, right? And all the, and all the, all the gory detail, quite literally. Yeah. We, you know, it, it's interesting—a a double mention of these comments to this day, right? Um, both in terms of like th- making the city a heap of ruins, um, it mentions I specifically, but as you were saying, probably treating a- AI and Bethel together um, on a certain level, and then also um, at the end um, taking the king of I and again re- erecting this like heap of stones, uh, something that stands to this day. It, it seems like it- it's not just you know a merciless destruction of the people, but it's about sending a message. So how does that fit into this context here? What's the message that's that they're trying to send, that God is sending by instructing the people to do this? Um, and how does that fit in with this context, as we've seen, of the sin of Israel and uh, the, the sin, of course, of just the area in general?
1: Well, the message is is that they're carrying this out at God's command. This is holy war. This is not just a, a war motivated by uh, by greed or by... You know, a, a desire for Israel to say, "You have what we want, so we're going to take it." Um, and and these, the the rubble and the and, and the pile of for the the heap above the King of Eyes' grave, uh, we see the Israelites erecting monuments, stone monuments wherever they go, um, and also altars, as we'll see in a moment, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, erecting stones as a reminder of what God has done. Um, archaeologists like to joke that the stones speak <laughs> right. the, the, the stones tell the truth and and we see that um, being carried out here. Um, and it's also I think notable that a lot of the details of what happens here are carried out exactly according to the letter of the law, literally in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Um, God gives Moses and the people instructions for how hanging is supposed to be carried out, including the fact that it has to be buried before uh, sundown. Right. And um, so the people are, are being very careful <laughs> to do exactly what God has told them. Um, some, And and you'll notice, too, that the killing of the king of Ai shows uh, kind of the, a theme that I think runs throughout the book of the books of Kings and Chronicles, that as the king, so goes the kingdom. Here it's as the kingdom, so goes the king. And so I has fallen. It's been devoted to destruction. Uh, the same thing, uh, happens to their king. And, um, and, and everything is just carried out according to God's command, and the stones, the, the raising, the rubble and the raising of the, 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 the memorial stones always shows the people, this really happened, and if you want to find out that it really happened, you can go there, and even today you can see the pile of rocks that proves this happened.
0: Right, right, yeah, and of course, and, and that, that really does fit this pattern that we have as God's people, that God is always interacting with us in history and leaving us, physical things, right, pointers um, to theological realities, right? He's not just giving us kind of this kind of platonic, philosophical, like, just take my word for it. All the angels are there dancing on the head of this needle, right? It, it's like, no, th- this is stuff that happened. And, you know, here's look, uh, here's a bunch of stones. Um, here, Here is the river, right? Here is the water. Um, here is the bread. Here is the wine, right? God is always acting in this way of, of working through these, these means, which convey his purpose. And as you were saying, this does convey this message that this isn't just Joshua, um, you know, being bloodthirsty. This is, this is him following the instructions of God. This is all done at God's command. And there's another side to this, right? Because this is what happened. We got to We got to keep going back to this, right? What was the, what was the problem um, with the outcome of the first attempt at I, well, what was what was the intercessory prayer of Joshua all about? Right, it was about, oh God, what's going on? We have been so embarrassed in mm-hmm. the eyes of all these people. What are they going to do to us when they find out that we've been trounced like this? Right, I mean, yeah. I mean the 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 description right I mean that's that's what it says there it says in verse nine of chapter seven again for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth and, and it goes on and what will you do for your great name see so it, it, it's it's about the name they can't have this story getting out that they were just embarrassed and trounced by by I when they when they had the numbers that can't get out because not just because of like pride or something, but because, as you were saying, these cities of of, of Can and um, in, in the Canaanite cities they were in in different kinds of alliances with each other. And what was going to happen is if that story got out, all of them were going to just coordinate an attack and try to wipe out Israel, right? So God is is actually acting like protectively here uh, for the sake of His people. And so, I mean, it's unfortunate that it had to come to this. It's only because of Israel's sin, right? If they if they had just not sinned with the with the holy things of Jericho, perhaps they could have. Um, I mean, waged a like, like a less uh, grisly battle, right? And they wouldn't have had to like impale the king, right, and, and make it a memorial and burn the city down, right? Like mm-hmm. they might not have had to have done it so terribly had it not been for their sin. But I think you see God's purpose there; He's protecting His people um, against what would have surely been a coordinated. Uh, attack on the part of the Canaanites, and and also protecting his own name that everyone knows that, hey, this is the God of heaven and earth, not just some local God that sometimes gets beaten um, because he's really just kind of limited in his power.
1: And in the next two chapters, you'll actually see an attempt at a coordinated attack against Israel. Um, But as, as you said before, Joshua was concerned not only about Israel looking weak, but about the reputation of the Lord. Yes. Um, and Moses had been concerned about that too. Um, uh, you know, what 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 are the Egyptians going to say, Lord, that, that you just brought us out here? You, you just brought this people out here to kill them. What what are you going to do to save them? <laughs> right. And so the the reputation of of the Lord is always on the line, but the Lord always proves that He lives up to His name and that indeed there's no God like Him.
0: Exactly. Let's go ahead now. We, we've mentioned it a couple of times, uh, but let's go ahead and read it. This this final paragraph here, This in the ESV, it has the the heading, Joshua Renews the Covenant, right? So mm-hmm. as I've been saying, this really does fit into what's going on. And so let's read it, and then maybe you can try to help us understand like how this really does belong as part of the whole mess that we've seen um, from Jericho up till now through I. So here we are picking it up at verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written." And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Evil, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. All right, so yeah, it looks like uh, yeah, a covenant renewal ceremony. You know, this is uh, not unlike what we got. I mean, we, we read this a little bit when we we're looking at Ezra, right? That, you know, the people, they they come out of exile they all regroup in in israel and they're going to read the whole thing over again right have offerings and prayer and um, all this going on right so what is what is the timing here right in a chapter that's been so much about the timing of things um why is it important that right now they do this after they have successfully captured heim
1: well for one thing they are by mount ebal and actually um they had been given instructions by Moses that uh, when they, uh, and of course Moses speaking as the prophet, speaking the word of the Lord, um, that when they, when they had succeeded in their conquest, that they were supposed to um, build an altar and read the, the Torah on Mount Ebal. I, I think that's in um, Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, it talks about that. And right. um, and so in one way, again, they're carrying out the exact command that God had given. Um, so they're there. It's time to do it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was 27, chapter 27, and also chapter 11, verse 29 of um, Deuteronomy. That says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal, um, it's pretty clear-cut instruction, and so they do it. Yeah. Um, and 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 they carry out that command. It, earlier um, in the week, one of your guests was talking about how, you and one of your guests were talking about how, you know, the circumcision and the Passover keeping, yes. it seems like this is not the right time to have church. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when... When you have victory in battle, you press the advantage. Right. Um, you keep going until the enemy is rooted. And the enemy is not just I or I am Bethel, it's all of the Canaanites. Right. Um, but it, there's, uh, there's almost an idea that you know they, they're, they're too busy not to pray and worship and hear God's word. Martin Luther had talked about how I have too much to do today, so I need to spend two hours in prayer first. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, a- absolutely. So, yeah. Go ahead. So it's just it's 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 the right time. You you give thanks. You carry out the command. Um, and just from a practical standpoint, you know, while well, well, you your next amount e ball is probably a, a better time to carry out the command than when you're um, fifty miles away. So um, so they do it and. Um, they build an altar, and, and again, this this uh, reminds us of how wherever Abram or Abraham later went in the land of Canaan, he and uh, his son, his grandson Jacob, they built altars all over the place, right um, to point the people of the land not to their gods, the but to the God the, the God of Israel, the one true living God. and um, so they do that. they're showing the people around them, that they're here, um, not ju- again, not just for the sake of, of, of plunder, but they, they pause, they pray, they worship Yahweh, they hear his word and uh, carry out his command. And it's a, it's a holy war. It's not just a war right. for fun. A- a- amen.
0: Thank you so much. So good having you on for the first time here. Got to have you back real soon. Thanks, brother. Blessings on the rest of this Epiphany season. Everybody, that was Pastor Chris Mathis, pastor at Epiphany Castle Rock. Um, just seeing there at the end how the people act in repentance, following the commands of the Lord. Until next, everybody, Pastor H Espinosa.
1: Peace. By Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting By Strong Word.